Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Mental Golf Show, where we discuss all things golf psychology to help avid golfers improve their game. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. I am a golf psychology coach, and I've been playing competitive amateur golf for over 20 years. And on today's episode, we've got Evan Singer. He's the host of the Par Train podcast, but I believe more importantly than that, he's a genuinely thoughtful and kind person who clearly absolutely loves golf. The Par Train is also a golf mental game podcast, but I have no issues recommending everyone to go over there and subscribe because I really love what Evan and his team do. And in fact, he was kind enough to have me as a guest on the Par Train, and I thoroughly loved our conversation. So you should go check that out. I'll have a link to that episode in the show notes. But for now, you're listening to The Mental Golf Show. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about what the mental game is, what it means to get out of your own way, what confidence really means, how to play golf athletically, how to get clarity and commitment over a golf shot, different golf personalities, and then we did a lightning round at the end, which actually led to some surprisingly deep answers from Evan. I think this episode is a really good mix of entertaining and educational, which is always the sweet spot. That's always uh, what I hope to go for. But before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, the Divot Board. The Divot Board is the game-changing golf training aid designed to elevate your swing and revolutionize your game. I own a Divot Board. I personally use a Divot Board. It's easily one of my favorite training aids that I've ever used, and I'm very picky for my training aids, so I believe that's saying a lot, personally uh, personally speaking. The Divot Board has patented technology that offers instant feedback both at home and on the range. With every swing, you gain valuable insights into the crucial point of impact as well as your swing path enabling you to make real-time adjustments. And on a neurological level, which is something we love talking about here on The Mental Golf Show, making errors is extremely important because your brain takes that feedback and makes instant corrections to help you adapt your motion to the motion that you want. And the instant error feedback of the divot board has got to be one of the best tools ever made for this. And you can use this whether you have a ball or not. I use it in my backyard, hitting foam golf balls into a bed sheet. I can imagine a scenario where you don't have any golf balls and you just spend five minutes getting a high quantity of swings and therefore tons of error feedback. The divot board would be perfect for that kind of scenario. So no matter where you are or what your skill level is, this training aid will undoubtedly help you build the confidence and skill you need to excel on the course. And I think calling it a training aid is is actually not even doing it justice because I use it as my primary hitting mat. It just it feels so good, uh, and and the regular feedback is just like being on the driving range. So uh, training aid is uh, I think not even a fair uh, you know adjective for what what the divot board is Uh, but it is a training aid and it does help you train your golf swing and you can get a divot board at a 10 percent discount by going to divotboard.com slash mental golf show and use the discount code mental golf 10 at checkout to get 10 percent off your purchase i'll have the link in the show notes of this episode 
Again, that's divotboard.com slash mental golf show and use the offer code mentalgolf10 at checkout to get 10% off. Many thanks to Divotboard for partnering with the Mental Golf Show. All right, let's get into this conversation with Evan Singer. I hope you enjoy. So I want to start here. Uh, first of all, Evan, thank you for being on the Mental Golf Show. Uh, I had the pleasure of being joining Evan on his show, The Par Train. It was an awesome, awesome experience. That conversation was really, really good. I loved it. I thought it was really rich. Evan asking some amazing questions, us having some good back and forth. But Evan, I appreciate you returning the favor, being on the Mental Golf Show. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so used to saying welcome aboard. It's good to be on board, but I got to remember I'm on a different show right now. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you, you know what? You're welcome aboard this train. I, I, that's that's not fair. I can't use those phrases. Those are copyrighted phrases. I can't do that. Uh, I'll have to pay you royalties. But um, let's let's start off here. Uh, both of us run mental game golf, mental game podcasts, right? And yeah. and there's no debating the importance of the mental game, right? So we kind of, we kind of skip right back, right past that, right? The mental game is important. You wouldn't be listening to these if you didn't think so. So I'm interested in your definition of the mental game. Like when, when you hear the phrase Mm -hmm. mental game, uh, what comes to mind? What, what, uh, how would you define it? If you, if you wrote the dictionary definition for the mental game, Hmm. That's an interesting question. I think it would probably be my ability to get out of my own way and let my true abilities come out. Mm. So everyone's got their own physical ability. Everyone has their own swing. Everyone has their own flaws, right? We all do things well, differently as well. So I think it's, can I let my true potential my true abilities out. Um, I joke on our show on the par train. A lot of people's first uh, perceptions of the mental game is that we're sitting on the tee box with our legs crossed, meditating and breathing um, and staying present. But really it's uh, it's mental skills to notice when you're getting in your own way. And knowing your tendencies so that when things inevitably do come up that would get in your way, instead of it lasting 30 minutes, two hours, the entire round, all day, a week, it can be five minutes, maybe 30 seconds, and you can continue to perform. Mm. I also think it's your ability to enjoy things, um, hard things. So I think it's also that. I think it's the ability to not let external factors interrupt your ability to feel fulfilled and to feel joy. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's it's got a performance component and an enjoyment component, which probably comes around the other side to also have a performance component when you're enjoying it more. Right. You enjoy it more yeah. when you perform better, you perform better when you enjoy it more. So it has a cyclical, yeah, self-beneficial thing to it. That's I think that's an awesome definition. So let's drill in on it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. with the mental game, there's all sorts of cliche phrases, right? And 
One of them that we all hear a bunch is get out of your own way, right? I think you and I understand what that means, but um, there's no debating that it's also just a cliche phrase that gets tossed around a lot. So if, if the mental game is getting out of your own way, then what is getting out of your own way? Or maybe put reverse is what does it look like to get in your own way? What do you think? Mm. Oh man, it's a multitude of things, right? It could be, uh, first thing is the obvious one, which is getting focused on results. So the most common experience that most of your listeners would have had is one of two things. One is you start really focused on your process or a theme for the day. So this just happened to me literally this week. I started off my round. I was focused on rhythm and playing conservative and 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 swinging committed and aggressive to conservative targets. Something you've probably talked a lot about, something we've talked a lot about on our show. And I started off great. Shot a 38 on the front for a seven handicap. It's pretty good, right? Um, but then I got excited. And that's what we all do. It's it's impossible to not think about the results. Your human brain is going to try to project in the future. And you're going to start to think about all the texts that you're going to send and the exciting. And for me, a podcast that I'm going to record and um, what I'm going to tell my co-host, Serm. Um, and so then I start getting out of what got me there. And so... I performed well. I got excited. I thought about results. A lot of people don't know why that gets in your way, though, going back to your original question. And that's because inherently, if my brain's focused on something else and it has to do with results, I'm more likely to have more tension in my body. Um, I'm not going to let my true abilities, my true swing, my true stroke on the green come out. It's going to get a little tight. And as you know, a little tightness, a little tension, that's an entirely different golf swing. It's a game of millimeters. So mm. um, it can also happen the flip side. You start really focused on results. You have a really poor front nine. You get frustrated. You say, oh, the round's over anyways. You start swinging with no care in the world. Suddenly you shoot two over on the back. So focused on results is obviously a big one. And I think the other biggest one is just playing golf swing the whole day. You know, I th I found I told you about this on on the show we did together where I th I find it very easy for me in my own game to think that I can translate something that worked last week and really just be hyper focused on my swing. I think it's good to have a feel um and a focus, but when it starts to get too technical, at least for me, I know it works for some people. It doesn't work. So I think that's another thing that gets in our way. I, I just I just posted this video from Rotella, who's been on the show, and it's our number one episode, episode 172. And he, I shared this video of him from years ago. I might get it wrong, but essentially he said something like, you've got two choices. You can either turn into a nerd, which is like so funny in Rotella. He's like very blunt and direct and a very confident guy, which is infectious. You can turn into like a nerd out there or you can be like a confident athlete. And the second that you find yourself 
veering back into like nerd status, maybe that's a sign to like get back to be an athlete. Right. Mm. And that's something you've probably heard a lot too, but, um, it's so funny how the second that we let go of how we do something and we just get really focused on what we're trying to do, being an athlete becomes much easier Mm. and, uh, you can find yourself getting into a groove. So those are obviously, those are very common examples, um, that you've talked about probably many times in the show, but I would say, even though you've heard it a lot, they're probably the most common things I'd say seven out of 10 times um, for people that get in their own way. It's probably one of those two things. Yeah. Yeah. And they almost always end up at the same point where your, your mind is somewhere other than the present, right? That's kind of like, yeah. if you boil it all down, no matter what thing you're struggling with or going through, that's where you kind of end up. And, um, and the importance of the mental game is to help you not be there, right. To help you yeah. come back from what's pulling you away from the present and come back to the present. Uh, that's well said. So then for you, your own personal mental game. And when, when you feel well in uh Rotella's parlance, uh, more like a nerd and less like an athlete and, yeah. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, the, the interpretation there is like, um, it's, it's more of a, I don't know, maybe, maybe interpret the terms nerd and athlete, right? You know, as opposed like, um, Bryson DeChambeau, he's like a golf nerd, right? Or, mm -hmm. uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, both of those guys could yeah. be considered golf nerds, yeah. but they're also amazing players. So maybe nerd uh, needs some interpretation. So what, what's the difference between those terms before I ask you something else about them? Yeah, well, that's a great point because Rotella is one of the best ever. Right. But I do think that there are some areas and at the same time, like I'm a seven handicap, I have a mental podcast. I can't compare myself to Bob Rotella, but I do, I coach myself and I use mental golf type. And so I know now from experience of being certified and coaching many golfers over the years, including helping my own game, is generalizations don't work for everybody. So pick a small target for some personalities can be very restrictive, right? Uh, um, and so I think what Dr. Bob Rotella is saying is getting too technical, right? You don't want right. positional. I don't think that really helps anyone's. I think that's probably the best way to to decipher it is Dr. Bob Bertella can say like what he said on our show, which I found very fascinating um, is if I told you, he goes, Evan, if I told you to throw that baseball over that tree, would you think about the angle of your elbow and your shoulder leaning back? Or would you just look at the top of the tree and throw it over? And I said, well, thanks for asking me that. Bob, I, I am a former baseball guy, so nice, nice move. Know your audience, but <laughs> um, I was like, you're right. I'd probably just throw it over the tree. Now, I posted a video on this a year ago, got tons of comments of like, yeah, but the golf swing so much more technical. We all know how to throw. And yes, that is true, but he is right in the sense that the more instinctual see target, know exactly where you want to go, give your brain clear direction and just trust your body can do it, 
I think we're all going to be probably better off, but some players are more technical than others and decipher their game differently. So um, he's probably just saying, keep it simple, Mm. get your target and go thinking about your swing move all around for more people than not is probably going to get in your way than help you. Yeah. 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 The, um, the the concept of uh, a maybe a nerd likes to split open things and dissect things and overthink things right and we're and maybe we're it's like a traditional 1980s or 1990s concept of a nerd and an athlete like like yeah. a, a a kid that's way too technical technically minded versus a guy that's just like see ball hit ball right that's a spectrum and a sport is generally better played closer to the like see ball hit ball type of the spectrum. Right. And there's a time for being a nerd. Right. And I, I believe there is, I don't know what, like, do you think there is a time for it or should it, should it always be a, a pursuit towards like at all times trying to be more athletic? What do you think? Hmm. That's interesting. I think, again, it depends on the personality and it probably depends on the situation. I would actually, I'll say this. Behind the ball, I think it could be a really good thing to be a nerd in the sense of get as much information as you can get to make a really clear decision. I actually am fascinated. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. It has been so fascinating to me as I've gone through my own struggles in my own game, how difficult it is to focus on what I want to do before I step into the ball. I caught myself doing it this week. I was like, wow, I can sense my body wants to step into this shot so badly. And I don't know what the putt does yet. Or I don't know if this is the right club yet. Hmm. Or I don't know where that, what goes over that hill? I'm not quite sure. Should I hit over the, Should I play draw or should I try and play this more of a straight shot? Should I try and play this lower? It's crazy to me how hard and difficult focus can be. You even heard Phil talk about it when he won the PGA, oldest major winner ever. He said it finally all came together from a focus standpoint, Mm. right? Um, So yeah, I think being a nerd Mm. in in a way to focus you and get clarity. I find focus and clarity is very similar. Like focus sounds more cliche. So sometimes I use clarity. I bet you if someone listening went out and played golf tomorrow and the singular goal of the round was to not step into a shot until you have clarity on what you're trying to do, I bet you they'll play better. Mm. I would guess five shots. That's what I would guess. Um, So being a nerd to gain clarity, I think could be a great plan. Being a nerd over the shot, probably not. Mm. Yeah, I, I, uh, you're, you're, you're obviously talking about something uh, that we would call commitment, right? Where I have made a nerdy and I'm doing air quotes, a nerdy decision of where I want the ball to go. Right. Whether you use something like decade or some kind of strategy program, or 
you are more feel-based and you say, this is where I want it to go based on whatever. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you need to like have a target that you're aiming at. And, and then with a the mental golf type, whether or not you are still thinking about that target as you're over the ball, or you are thinking more internally feel based over the ball, whatever. But at some point you have to choose a target. And I am in full agreement with you that if you step into the ball while you, before you gain that clarity, then you're going to be thinking about, uh, am I, is this the right decision? And it's funny. I, I, can tell you're a tiger fan uh, from if you're the one that runs the Twitter account for the par train, then I can tell you're a tiger fan. But uh, one of the things that he said after his Thursday round at the hero world challenge was it's strange. He, he said he found it strange that he was struggling with commitment, right? He was getting over the ball and questioning his decision-making, which is crazy to hear tiger woods say, but Mm -hmm. I'm, he could just as easily have exchanged, uh, that word for clarity, right? I wasn't very clear on what I was doing. So, so finding that clarity before you step in is absolutely essential. I think I'm, but isn't, fully isn't that agree. such a great reminder? Sorry to cut you off. That's, that's that, yes. that is such a great reminder of, I was thinking about it actually after my answer of when you asked me how I view the mental game and, and some of those early questions Mm. and i i was literally thinking how maybe the biggest misconception of the mental game i know that wasn't your direct question Mm. and this funnels into what tiger said is that and it's just like anything that you reach a destination or you make it and you figured it out and then you never have to think about it again like to me the mental game is the practice of coming back and noticing sooner than the last time you forgot to do something or that you lost focus or that you're acknowledging that what you feel today is different than yesterday and you're not comparing and trying to do yesterday but you're embracing the most out of what you have today it's not at all this controlling it's not all this efforting it's it's literally just the noticing coming back and then recommitting to something that is the mental game but yeah. i think so many of us in golf especially think, oh, okay, so I finally got my irons figured out. Now I just got to get the driver. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got the driver, but now my putting isn't good. So now I just got to figure out the putting and then I'll figure it out. Okay, I started working on my mental game. I'm making better decision-making. Now I figured it out. There's no real figuring out. You're just learning and you're doing the best you can with what's in front of you. And if Tiger Woods says he's struggling with commitment one day, Maybe that's a good example and a reminder for all of us that it doesn't matter how good we've been up to this point. Every different time we play is an opportunity to to try again. Yep. You know? Yep. So with that, uh, with your own personal uh, journey to find better clarity before you get into a shot, do you have a like a technique, like, uh, let's try to make it practical because so much of what we talk about can be ethereal, right? Conceptual, uh, vague. Um, and if you don't, we can try to come up with something together, but do you have a practical thing that you do when, man, today I have just not been clear. I've hit like the first five holes have been hit. I've been hitting shots 
before I've been clear, before gaining that mm-hmm. clarity, before being focused over the shot, before being committed. Do you have a way to write that ship for yourself? Yeah. So it's not going to sound groundbreaking or anything, but mm-hmm. one thing I've learned about myself is, so I'm a creative and um, I'm all about human connection, storytelling, and you know I'm a marketer and a creative at heart. So um, when you think about my personality, I'm an ENFP, if you want to reference mental golf type or Myers-Briggs. Um, so I'm like all feel, all intuitive, all perceiving, um, and extroversion. So there's no real analytical, technical aspect to my personality. So one thing I learned about myself, and I'll reference this back to golf in a second, is when I'm trying to solve a problem or I'm trying to come up with something and it's in my head, I tend to spin and struggle pretty quickly. I tend to feel a little overwhelmed. I can't seem to solve the problem. Um, I can't come up with any ideas. But then the second, literally the second, I sit down with someone and they say, okay, just walk me through what you're trying to accomplish. And I talk it out. I gain instant clarity. I gain instant creativity. I gain instant inspiration. And so this is an example of it's not just golf or me as a person. Like it's, I think the key, what I've found that helps my players that I coach reach their highest of highs is when we remove all of this supposed to, we remove all of the shoulds and we say, what are you like naturally? What do you do naturally? And let's then inject that into your golf game. I've had so many players of mine, myself included, that are doing things in their routines because they think they're supposed to. I'm supposed to look at the target. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to vocalize. I'm supposed to talk to my playing partners. That's not necessarily best for everybody. So for me, going back to your original question, vocalization is something I constantly have to come back to. And it sometimes might sound silly, but I'll just be like, all right, what am I trying to do here? All right. So it's 165 yards. We got a little bit of wind in um, the flags on the left. I tend to play a little draw. Just going to play a good solid eight iron here. Right. And I'm going to aim over that right bunker. And either way, I should be with this club and this wind and that flag, no matter where I hit it, I feel pretty good. If I have a good swing at it, it should be somewhere on the green or just short of that bunker, right? Whatever the scenario is, I think that's the goal, right? I talk it out and I create a scenario that my margin of errors, my range of outcomes will be manageable. And that gives me confidence and comfort to just be like, okay, I think either way I'm going to be okay here, mm-hmm. right? So funny how we dramatize. Mm-hmm. And look, if anyone knows this, I do. I've gone through some crazy, dark struggles um, of just standing over the golf ball and just riddled with fear and anxiety, mm-hmm. right? But at the end of the day, it is just a golf shot. Mm. Um but I know what it's like to be on both sides of it. So 
I think vocalizations have been a good one. Visualization, I'd love to pick your brain on this. That's an interesting one. I've learned through my coaching certifications and and talking with many different folks on the podcast that visualization is a tricky one. Hmm. Some people see the start and the end line. Some people just see the apex. Some people don't see the flight at all. Some people see their body swinging and then they try and step into that visualization for the full swing has been much harder for me. Hmm. Whereas like, I'd say right now, the best part of my game is my putting. And when I stand over the ball, I'm seeing my line go in. And the second I see it go in, I look back at the ball and I stroke it. And I'm amazed how many times I can actually match that. So there's always like, hmm, Hmm. that's interesting. I do that in my putting. I don't do that in my long game. Maybe there's room to do that in my long, right, exactly. So I'm always trying to figure that out, but visualization has been harder than vocalization. That's, I think, the main takeaway for me. Okay, so uh, a couple things on that. Um, Which letter in the mental golf type deals with you should vocalize things rather than keep them internal? Is it the is it the introvert extrovert? Yep. Okay, and and then quick sidebar, and I want to talk about this in a little bit. You're an ENFP. I'm an ISFJ. So we almost couldn't be more opposite, right? Yeah. Uh, Which is nuts, but. the for visualization i i kind of on one on one side of me i think i love it and i'm not even i'm trying to separate like what i do or what i care about yeah. but um what i've learned about it and like from a like <clears throat> a i guess a scientific like i i, I hate saying that or talking about that because it makes me sound like I'm smarter than everyone else, but it, I'm not, I promise. I, from what I've, I've learned perspective, it's, it tells me be skeptical of it. And then, but what I've experienced and what I've heard other people experience tells me it's got to have some value. And I think where they match up is one, your personality type. I think that's a huge factor of how does your brain work? How do you, um, how do you see things? Are you more of an artistic person, right? Like, um, or, or are you more analytical and back to tiger? I, I I remember him talking about, he said, I can't see the flight of a ball. Uh, my imagination's too crazy. I like, I would see lines all over the place. I think is the way he described it. Uh, and I'm, I'm no doubt getting that wrong, but I think the idea was he's more internal. He's more, um, kind of what do I need to do with my body, my hands, my feel, right? So he would almost undoubtedly be an I rather than an E. Oh, right. For sure he is. Yeah. So that's one in the column for eyes. So I'm sorry, Evan, you're, you're already on the losing side here, but, um, but the, I think the end result there is, and why I think it is still absolutely has value is at the end of the day, you, I think you need, it's part of that clarity, being able to step into the ball, knowing this is what I want to do. Right. But I think where it teeters on unhelpful is I need a shot to go there. I see this trajectory. I see this end result. And now that is the only um, acceptable scenario, right? And now you've created 
a my a, maybe a perfectionistic view of what this shot needs to be. So I think there's a spectrum of this is this is really valuable up until a certain point of how much do you need this? And yeah, I don't know. What are you? What are your thoughts on on that? Can I? I'm going to throw something at you that's a little out there. Okay, but it made me think of it. I think it could be valuable for your listeners. So I've noticed that anything good I've ever created or attracted in my life has kind of followed the same pattern. And ironically, that also goes with golf shots and golf performance. They're one and one and the same. So the first thing, first step of that formula is you have to get really clear on what you want. And I would say, I guess six, seven out of 10 people are really clear on what they don't like. Mm. But if you ask someone, well, what do you want? I ask this to my brother all the time. God bless him. <laughs> Been in the same job for 14 years. One of the biggest sports companies in the world. Um, loves it, but is, has wanted something different for a while. Just hasn't changed. My parents are the same way. It's taken me a long time to unlearn this myself. Mm. Um, but no judgment. It's it's easier. Yeah, but it's easier to to sit in the the known of something you don't like, but then you ask them, well, what do you want? And they'll say something, I don't know, just I'm kind of sick of working nights and weekends. I want more flexibility in my schedule. No, but what do you want? Right? That was still what he doesn't want. Yeah. What do you want in the job? What do you want in a company? Mm. What do you want in your routine? What do you want in your life? right? You'd be shocked at how many people don't have an answer. So that's one. You got to get really clear on what you want. Now reference that back to a golf shot, right? What do you want this to look like? Two is then you have to take actionable steps towards it. So a lot of people say, I used to think doing my podcast full time was a pipe dream. Mm -hmm. I wrote it down. I said, that's what I want. I want to do my podcast full-time. It's the favorite thing that I've ever done. It's my life's work. I love it. I love getting the messages from people that are finally enjoying the ride again and it's helping them in their lives. And like, that was my thing, but it felt like a pipe dream until I started acting as if it was already full-time acting as if I have everything I need. I'm, I'm learning from people that are already doing it. I'm getting better at every step. I'm taking actions every day. I post four times a day on social media for years. And then you start just like doing it. And then you forget about the whole big dream mm. of it. That's step three. That's detachment, mm. right? So detachment, detachment has to be there in order to let you bring in what you want, whether it's a good golf shot or something in your life. So, so going back to it, it's getting really clear on what you want taking steps towards it and trusting that if you're supposed to have it, you'll get it mm. and not forcing it, not asking why you don't have it yet. Just acting as if you already do and trusting that it'll present itself. And if you really think about it, I know this might sound a little bit meta, but if you think about it, like the best rounds of golf are kind of that same formula. And it's like, you act as if you already got the game you need 
you get really clear and you're taking clear steps every shot and you pick your head up and you're like, you just broke 80, you know, depending on your, your, yeah, your skill level, like that's crazy, but that's kind of how life works too. And so, yeah, I just wanted to share that because I feel like a lot of people are rooting too much in what they don't want. Mm. And, um, you gotta, it's so powerful to switch from defense to offense and just be like, no, I can create whatever I want. What do I want? And then you go from there. Yeah. And, and on a nitty gritty detail level, visualization for you helps you get clear on what you want. So, so kind of to tie the two things together where you say, I get in these ruts of where I will go in stretches of not getting clear before stepping into a golf shot. Do you ever get in those ruts with putting, even though like just, um, and maybe this is kind of a spoiler where with putting you visualize, right? You recognize the power of visualization for your putting. Do you ever still struggle with that? Um, I'm standing over this putt and I don't really know what it's, what I think it's even going to do. Like, do you still struggle with that with putting, even though it's the best part of your game? You know, what's funny about that is, uh, I was in Scotland for four weeks and my wife and I, uh, made, it was like a dream of mine to live in Scotland for a month. We, we just said, F it, let's do it. We both work remotely. I work in golf. So it even brought out more opportunities. And I was like, let's do it. Let's live in St. Andrews for a month. So I played nine times and I did an entire episode on this where it is mind. Bl- I, I did a crash course on how to not play committed golf. And it was the most horrendous display of golf. I loved it. I mean, I was at some of the best golf course in the world in Scotland. But if you think about it, Josh, wind, rain, links versus regular golf, courses I've never played not playing with a caddy, trying to figure out direction, blind shots, club selection, distances. Do I play the shot I'm comfortable with or do I play the shot that it calls for? Right? I got to flight it. This doesn't call for a stock, but that's the one I'm comfortable with. So, I mean, and you factor that to the greens to your original question. Mm. I didn't realize it until I was so confused and disoriented. That by the time I got to the greens, I think I was just so excited to be like somewhere comfortable that I just walk up to it. And I don't need to read. I'm actually like a pretty natural green reader. I can kind of see the same read just kind of walking into it as I can getting down and looking at it. But I think I did that on the far side of the spectrum. I walked into every putt. I'd say maybe over half the time I didn't even know what it did. Like that sounds crazy to say out loud, but I was just walking into putts and it's like putted and there's also wind with putting, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, I factor in wind in my putting. So I think that factored into it too. I was just so not clear and I really didn't putt well mm-hmm. at all. Um, And then I, and also thinking about stroke, that's a very easy thing to do. The second I stop worrying about what my stroke looks like and I just get back to rhythm and painting that picture, I made so many putts when I played on Monday this week 
this random dude I got matched up with goes, Jesus Christ, this guy's automatic. I made like five one uh, one putts in a row. And and then these weren't easy putts either. I mm-hmm. was like blown away. I was like, mm-hmm. wow, this is fun to like be doing this again. Um, and yeah, I was I was thinking about rhythm, wasn't thinking about my stroke. And I got clearer. That was really my big goal for the day was get clarity. And even that was hard. It's so mm-hmm. crazy how I was I was wanting, to, I think just because I I have this habit because of past pain to just be so deliberate and just walk into it and not mm. waste time. But with that, I was making a lot of mistakes on lack of commitment. So, yeah, the, one of the factors that keeps coming up in my mind of when you step into the shot, you kind of go through the motions almost to get it out of the way. Like there's lots of sources of what that could come from. One is kind of just the feeling of being rushed. Right. And a lot of us, um, might just feel that throughout a round of golf where, um, I need to get out of someone's way. I need to, yeah. uh, right. This, this is going slow. I need to put everybody's pace of play as my responsibility. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, yep. so you don't even give yourself an opportunity to, uh, be the nerd part of golf where yeah. I'm, I'm actually determining where I think this needs to go and deciding to say, yes, that's what I believe before stepping in. Before you know it, you've hit it and you're just like, okay, I gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. And yeah. so the feeling of being rushed can do that. Um, is that ever like an issue for you of like feeling rushed? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me get this out of the way might be the worst statement <laughs> yeah. you can, you can hear. And it's funny you bring that up, Josh, because I literally just wrote an article for uh, the dream golf magazine that's coming out in February edition five and it's a five um i forget if it was the five i changed the title i think it was Mm -hmm. the five keys mental keys when playing bucket list golf um and and when you're talking about bucket list golf and trips or you get invited to a private club that stuff goes to the roof right because you're like we've all played golf like hundreds of times yet for some reason when we get invited to a private club we like don't want to impose Mm. we're like i'm like afraid of like stepping in someone's line it's like i didn't suddenly forget golf etiquette but it's so funny how self-doubt can skyrocket and self-questioning can skyrocket when you're in a place that is a little bit of a higher status and i have to remind myself like it took years to learn this in the corporate world Mm. like just because they're a director or a vp or whoever doesn't mean that they're smarter than you. Doesn't mean just because this guy's a, a member at this club doesn't mean he's better than you. You need to do what's best for you. What do you need? Because guess what? All of that rushing is going to take make your round longer. Mm-hmm. You're not saving time. You're going to be hitting it sideways and you're going to shoot a higher score, which is going to take longer. Take an extra 30 to 60 seconds to gain clarity and you're going to be waiting up on the green for that member that's walking up, hacking it from the trees, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good reminder that especially at those bucket list occasions, it's so easy to rush yeah. and try and get out of people's ways. But that goes back to, I think, to what do I need? Not worrying about other people. Like, what do I need yep. to play my best? And 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 really honoring that. Yeah, and kind of a sense of self-worth of like, 
I belong here just as much as anyone else. Totally. They wouldn't they wouldn't have me here if I didn't belong. And I or like I paid to be here, right? I don't um I I deserve 18 holes of going through a full routine just like anyone else, right? Like just because I'm playing yeah. through doesn't mean I have to play fast, faster, right? We all get that uh, mentality of when someone lets us through it's one of the most pressure packed moments of an entire round for most casual golfers or of an entire, like my whole year, my worst shots were hit when I was playing through, right? It's just feels like so much pressure. And I think it comes from a lot of that rushed feeling, or I need to get out of you guys way, like you said. And that assumes that you don't deserve time to go through your process on this whole. So there's a self-worth component, right? And and what do you need? You allow yourself to get what you need when you believe I've got some self-worth, right? I, be- yeah. I deserve just as much as the next guy. Can I tell you my Terry Eady story? Okay. So anyone that's experienced this, I hope that my experience will make you feel a little bit of ease that your experience wasn't that bad. Mm. And if I've gone through this as a podcast host, I hope this can present some comfort. I told this story on the par train, but since I'm a guest on your show, I'll tell it. I actually think it's quite funny, bring it, um, but quite painful in the moment. <laughs> so um, my wife and I honeymooned in New Zealand in January, and I reached out to the team um, at Terra Edie and TRI Links was just opening, um, which is a public, it's basically the bandon of, um, it's only two courses, but the bandon of uh, New Zealand that was built by the people who built Terra Edie, one of the most exclusive private clubs in the world, top five in the world in some rankings. So I reached out and I was like, I don't know if it's possible, but we're going to be there and it would be amazing. Right. And got invited to play. I hired a camera crew. We were just launching our YouTube channel and I'm playing with the guy who, who built the course, basically the Mike Kaiser of New Zealand. He's the developer of the Whoa. course, not Rick Kane, the billionaire um, who owns it, but the managing partner and the developer, um, Jim Orsef. And so <laughs> going into the trip, I was actually starting to hit it better. Okay. I was excited. Then I see a Twitter post by Lou Stagner that says there was a study preliminary study where if you cut your driver down an inch to a half inch, you actually don't lose that much yardage. Um, Your longest drives get a little shorter, but your shorter drives get longer because the contact's better and your dispersion comes in. And I go, well, that sounds good to me. (laughs) As someone that's struggled with the driver for a long time, I'm like, that sounds great. And I've thought about doing this for years. So like a really smart person, I go to a local golf shop and cut my driver down two days before I leave for New Zealand. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Never played with it, and I'm going straight to a bucket list course, okay? In hindsight, that was silly. Then I start getting all these tweet replies. Did you check the swing weight? And I go, what is swing weight? What do you mean? (laughs) Nobody asked me about swing weight. As I go back, the store starts adding lead tape, and I'm like, oh, my God. Now I'm, like, questioning whether this driver is even, like... um, still you know functional it's still good by the way don't cut down your driver without 
an experienced professional and I wouldn't recommend doing it in general. You'll hear why in a second. <laughs> so I get to the first tee of Terry Eady. Camera crew's there. I topped. Oh. I think it was like my first four or five drives oh. on camera at one of the most beautiful places in the world on my honeymoon. And now I'm thinking, is it the driver? What did I do? I'm now I'm all tight. Now I'm trying just not to top it. Not a great mindset. Um, and even though I block it, let's say I block it 40 yards, but it goes out there and I'm just relieved that I didn't top it. Mm. Right. And I start spiraling and I'm like, I'm part of me. So this is the funny thing about this bucket list, honeymoon, private club. The, the shoulds in my head, is you need to be enjoying this, right? Oh, right. Yes. You shouldn't be having a bad time. But mm. I wanted that camera crew to leave. <laughs> I wanted to crawl into a hole. Mm. I didn't even want to be there, right? Um, so it is really, it is a, it's such an interesting thing how these these places where expectations are sky high. We don't allow ourselves to experience frustration or pain, which then makes the spiral of pain worse because it's something that we shouldn't be experiencing. And the number one rule in anxiety or any of this stuff is you have to let it in and you have to play with it. Mm -hmm. And um, that, it's so funny looking back. I thought it was the worst thing in the world. Now it's like this amazing story that I can tell of the power of the mind and how that translates to the body. And it's all intertwined. And mm -hmm. so some people just think it's, I need to be hitting the ball well to have a good mental game. But do you see how the grippling, gripping fear and embarrassment and panic created terrible swings. Hmm. And all I needed to do is get back to rhythm. And yeah, I probably shouldn't have cut down my driver and created, you know, doubt there of something that I'd already uh, struggled with in the past. But I was trying to get a quick win and quick fix. And, you know, it was a great learning. And looking back, it just proves that. And at the end of the day, that's worst case scenario, right? At the end of the day, I still made a great video. I joked about it on camera and I got to play one of the coolest places in the world. And I still ended up having a good time. Did I feel a little let down at the end of the day? Absolutely. But if I can come back from that, anybody can come back from anything. Mm. Man, that what a good story of the, the feeling of the the fear of doing something wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Or the feeling of needing to be perfect or what what happens when I'm in this heightened sense of pressure, how perfect that makes me need to be, but also the fear of the consequences of mistakes, right? And then the launch into fix mode in the middle of a round. Oh yeah. Also the, every swing fix I'd ever gone to. Right. Yeah, right? and you just go to fix mode. Right. And now you're now you're more I think it's obvious from your story you were more your attention was way more on 
fixing yourself rather than being broken and playing anyway. Right. Where you said the number one thing with like anxiety or like mental health is letting it in, right. Letting yourself feel emotions, right. Even painful emotions. Instead, what so many of us do is we are not like in order to play well, we need to not experience negative emotions. We need to not experience emotions in general. You know, the whole thing, you got to be even keeled. Right. Yeah. And, uh, that assumes that you are not human and you don't experience emotions. That also assumes that emotions are bad. And if you believe that, then every time you experience one, you're, you're more, you're more focused on getting rid of that emotion than just playing golf, right? Yeah. As a human. And that story encompasses all of that. That's amazing. What an amazing story. And by the way, it's normal to want to fix it. It's normal to yeah. panic. Like of it'd course. be normal to panic without cameras. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now think about spending a couple thousand dollars of ha- having cameras there and everyone around you, everyone at the entire club knows you're there for that filming and you can't get a ball in the air. <laughs> like that self doubt and, and my own self image can get punctured really quickly. <laughs> so, I think when people say let it in, they think accept it and be okay with it. You don't have to be okay with it. Right. Resign yourself to it. Right. Give up. Looking back, like some self-deprecating humor and a a phrase I've learned since then is I am safe, I'm loved. I know that sounds super meta and, and whatever. Sure. But I will tell you when you're experiencing panic, that is a really comforting thing to repeat to yourself. Um, because my body doesn't feel safe in that moment. My body feels like it's being attacked. So, mm-hmm. um, it's a good reminder. So yeah. Yeah. Anyone that's gone through that, it's not that it's okay. It's normal to panic in that moment. But I think the point of both our shows is to give you tools so that you can say, okay, it's pretty normal that I'm feeling panicked right now. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that you're at Terry Edie and you can't hit it driver in the air. Okay. This is my reality right now. Now, what do I have at my disposal? What are my options? Okay. Well, I can settle myself down through these statements and my breath. Okay. I can maybe go with my three wood, right? I can maybe swing Full 80%. Length three wood. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, no, I cut down my three wood too, which was oh, a mistake. <laughs> heaven. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. Did you go to single length irons too, uh, and uh, no, <laughs> change your putter. I probably, I probably should have for the story. <laughs> um, but I probably wasn't making a full. What are my tendencies when I get tight? I don't make a full turn. Um, I get quick, so maybe my I'm going to change my job from fixing myself to I'm going to make a full turn and I'm going to swing eighty percent and I'm going to not hit the driver right now. And maybe that's my game plan. Right. Yeah. Doesn't that feel a lot more collected than the six swing changes I made in the last eight months that I need to go back to and figure out while I'm on camera? Right. Yeah. You're oh. it, it instead of fighting the reality that you're in, maybe leaning in right now. Right. Cause yeah. right now is not the time to try to change my reality. Right. That's for right. When I get back home, I figure out my driver and my three wood and my golf game and 
readdress all these things, right? That's the part, that's the time to be a nerd, right? For my golf game. But right now, my reality, I, I've made my bed, right? It's time to mm -hmm. sleep in it. And, mm -hmm. and knowing full well, this might not be as, um, as comfortable or as perfect as I wanted this round to go. And that's okay. Right. Um, there's, there's an analogy quickly of, of, uh, that I heard one time of a, of two people watching a parade. The first one, uh, they're, they're both, they both start at the same place and the first float comes through and it's like kind of, kind of cool, kind of average, but the, one of the guys loves, loves it and loves the presentation. So for the rest of the parade, he's like running through people, like bumping into people, trying to follow the same float, right? The same experience. He's trying to have the same exact ex experience for the entire parade. And the other person is, uh, stays put, right? Experiences that first, uh, float. And then the next one is kind of average. And then the next one is whatever. But then the grand finale is unbelievable, amazing. And she's so glad she stayed for that, for that one. So which of the two probably enjoyed the parade more, right? The second one, the one that said, this parade is going to have uh, lousy stuff, but it's also going to have great stuff. And in order to enjoy the great stuff, you also have to sometime experience the lousy stuff. Right. And that's yeah. around a golf, right? Around yeah. a golf is going to have great and it's going to have lousy. And in, instead of fighting the lousy and avoiding the lousy all the time, say, okay, that kind of comes with the territory with golf, right? Kind yeah. of embracing it. And once you embrace it, you kind of, you have a jumping off point to work on it and change it. Right. But this is reality. So live within that reality. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of a couple of things. One is, Julian Edelman's statement to Tom Brady um, when they were down 28 to three in the Super Bowl of the Falcons, he turns to Brady and he goes, this could be one hell of a story. Yeah. Right. And I love that statement. I actually say that to myself a lot. Anytime I'm in a situation that feels negative um, because it's an opportunity to tell a great story and come back. And then the second thing I wanted to share is it reminds me of an analogy I've used with some of my players. I've, used it on a podcast before which is what if we played golf like chess so when you're playing chess everybody kind of play started playing chess when the queen's gambit came out a few mm -hmm. years ago mm -hmm. um and we were all in covid and i started like, playing chess yeah playing chess against my wife at night and like against my nephews and um one thing i learned pretty quickly as i was thinking about how we play chess is Let's say you've got me in a corner, Josh, and, and you're check, check, check. And my king is kind of on the run, right? I don't usually judge myself for my king being in the corner or being backed into a corner. I usually think, okay, I've got three moves here. If I do move one and I move the king left, well, that's checkmate. So I can't go there. Move two is, okay, maybe his rook, you know, is going to put me in checks and I can't go there. Or maybe a couple moves later that sets him up for something. So I can't go there. Move three, I can actually move my knight and that might give me my best. That's my best chance to get out of this. I don't know what every move is going to be after that because it's dependent on my opponent. 
But what's my best move here? It's option three. I make my move, then let's see what happens. And then I'm just going to make another move again. Mm. But we don't judge ourselves for being in the corner in chess. Mm. But in golf, we don't play like that. The best players do, where it's move to move, kind of like in the trees. What's my best move here? Well, if I try and go for it, I could hit the branches and I bring double into play. So my safest, best move here, so I avoid check, Mm -hmm. is punch it out sideways and give myself a look and try and salvage par or bogey. Because I know over 80% of tour pros in the trees make bogey. So bogey's a good score here now that I'm in the trees, right? Mm -hmm. I don't need to try and make birdie because one time I threaded it through and put it to 15 feet on the green from the trees, Mm. right? So it kind of reminds me of those two things. Like if you you embrace the story and then you just ask, what's my best move here? This could be one hell of a story. It kind of keeps you a little bit more offensive. You can kind of have a little bit of fun with it versus like, putting yourself down that you're even yep. in the corner or that you're down 28 to three, but then you have no chance. Mm. Yeah, man. I like that. I, I, I like that reframing. Uh, that's awesome. So uh, this has been an incredibly rich conversation, but I'm not going to let you go yet. I want to do a lightning round. Uh, I've oh. never done this before. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done this before, No. but um, I, I thought of some, some questions that I wanted to ask you. You can take as long as you want or not. Uh, I know lightning round assumes that it's fast, but to me, it's just like a bunch of kind of smaller questions. So feel free to answer them however you want. But um, yeah. first one, and I wrote this question down before I was doing some research today on what I wanted to uh, maybe ask you some more. And I noticed you kind of said this in a tweet already. Um, but the question I wrote down is what would your tombstone say? Where um, and it's got to be golf related, right? So maybe it's the mm. the phrase that you would want to leave for everybody, right? Uh, in a golf related way. So what would your golf tombstone say? Wow. And I tweeted something like this. There was something about like uh, if you could, um, if you died and you wanted something. I, I don't remember what I should have wrote it down. Obviously, but oh, uh, like it, what if it was your last round? It maybe it was something along okay. those lines, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. what would you wish you had thought or or that kind of thing? Yeah. Um Okay, I got it. Okay. You'd think I would go with enjoy the ride, but actually I'm gonna go if you can smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. Hmm. If you can smile that's the other thing we kind of say on our show. Okay. Um and maybe you know what? F it. I'm gonna I'm gonna combine them. If you can smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. Hashtag enjoy the ride. That's what's going to be on <laughs> Your my team. Now I combined a hashtag on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Although like, I will tell you, as being in St. Andrews and going through the, uh, my wife weirdly like loves cemeteries. Sure. Which yeah. if you knew her is like very unlike her personality. She's like super sweet and bubbly, yet she loves cemeteries. It's weird. Mm, grounds. Um, but, That's good. But as I've gotten older, the idea of being buried doesn't excite me at all. Hmm. I like get claustrophobic. I don't love the like being under six feet and taking up space. Mm. So okay, maybe that's but, gonna be engraved in my urn. Who knows? Okay, but, I got you. 
Yeah. Right. Obviously, that assumes that you're going to be buried, right? And I'm getting I'm, into semantics, but right, move on to the next. That one. is semantics, but I should yeah. not have made that assumption. I apologize, um, <laughs> but I, I like it. Uh, if you can smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. Hashtag enjoy the ride. I think that's yeah. that's amazing. Uh, if you can, if you truly have that mentality, getting to that mentality can be difficult. But if you can mm-hmm. truly have that mentality, right, you can't be beat. It doesn't guarantee that you'll play well, right? It's right there right. in the phrase. But right. if you can have that mentality, you, you won't beat yourself. Right. I love right. that. Um, okay. So uh, next one, uh, best piece of golf advice you've ever gotten. Mm. Best piece of golf advice I've ever gotten. I want to come up with like the perfect answer, but the first thing that popped in my head was from Dr. Joe Parent of the author of Zen golf. And it was change your job. So I'll use a putting example, right? You've got three feet to win your member guest, and that's pretty big. That's pretty scary. That's a lot of pressure, Mm -hmm. but what if you change your job? What if instead of making the putt to win the member guest, and that's what everybody else is thinking about, what if your job is to roll that ball over a spot an inch in front of your marker? Can mm. you do that? I could do that. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I guess all I have to do is roll this ball over my spot, and the rest isn't up to me. Mm. Now, think about the difference of what's in my body when thinking I got to make this to win my member guest and it's short and it should be makeable versus wait, change my job. Okay. I just got to roll this ball over a spot right in front of my ball. Cool. Yeah. All right, let's go. Right. Yeah. It's a totally different thing. So to me, the power of reframing and the, the change of energy that you get in your body and just in life to me is why I got into all this stuff because I've been studying it since I was 16 and I saw what happened in my life when I stopped being a victim and, um, you know, a victim of my external circumstances instead of realizing that, wait, I have a choice on how I perceive this. I have a choice of what I believe. I have a choice of what I think, and I have a choice to observe what I think and change it if it mm-hmm. doesn't serve me. And the way you feel after something is actually a great compass to what is a good thought to think. Does it feel heavy and restrictive or does it feel light and exciting? And changing the job, I think, is a great one that I learned mm-hmm. from Dr. Joe Parent. That's good. And that's really a concise, clear, clear thing to do. I, I love that. Um, uh, okay. Next one. Uh, what's your favorite player, favorite golfer right now? God, it's... you answer it how you want. That is so tough. I feel like I have a different answer every few months. I've actually gotten a lot less into the tour. I used to be like an every week I was in like a fantasy league. Now I love, like if someone's in contention, I really love to see, I turn it on kind of the back nine on Sunday type thing. Um, I'm not going to say tiger because that's an obvious one. So I'm going to say a non tiger answer. Cause I, to me, it's like, who gets me the most excited if they're in contention? 
And so I would say Spieth. But lately, it's actually been Max Homa just because of, from the mental side, his ability to be really vulnerable, but also be humorous and let himself be himself. Hmm. Um, and also like rise in the ranks and not just be a funny guy on Twitter, but make arguably the biggest putt for the USA team during the Ryder Cup when they desperately needed it and admit that his legs were shaking um, and numb, like, and still be able to perform. I think it's probably those two guys hmm. right now. Um, yeah, that's gonna be my answer. Your your answer reveals um, you like you like people that actually remind us that tour players are human, right? Yes. Those are yes. those are both very very good examples of that. So many other people, we start to say like they have some kind of ability that I cannot relate to. They are not a human. They uh, totally unrelatable type of person. Those two yeah. feel so much more relatable, right? The For ups sure. and downs they've gone through, the the way they wear their emotions on their sleeve, the way they uh, communicate vulnerability. I, I love that. I love those answers. That's yeah. That's that's a much more mature answer than I love Tiger, right? I will do anything <laughs> to watch Tiger. Um, unfortunately, I might answer that uh, at times, but um, yeah. I love your answer. I, I think I would also say Spieth. Uh, he. Yeah. He excites me more than anyone else um, uh, when he's in contention. Uh, well, maybe I think it's probably because he he probably gave us the closest thing to Tiger in our generation, right? Right. That what was that twenty fifteen ish? Yeah, that, that run he yeah. went on. It was just like yep, that feeling of he's doing it again. We haven't had since Tiger, right? right. And then he's like the golden boy and. Uh-huh. No, the you know, that's <laughs> yeah, that's probably an unfair expectation, which is probably why he mm. kind of had to go down and and come back up. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, that's a great observation. That's very true. Yeah. Okay. So then, on the other side, least favorite player. Hmm. Least favorite player. I actually don't know if I have an answer for this. It's <laughs> really tough. I've never been asked that before. I don't know if I've ever heard it asked. I don't know why I'm asking you. I think it could be interesting to hear why you say what you say. If you say anything, you don't have to. I definitely want to give you an answer. You know, it's it's kind of a cop-out answer. Mm. Who are the the biggest villains? It's Patrick Reed and who's the other guy? I can't think of right now. Maybe historically, as an American, Ian Poulter has been kind of villainous. Um, um, let's see who someone else was on the tip of my tongue. Um, oh, Sabatini, goodness. I know, was back in the day. <laughs> um, Sabatini. Oh uh, man. Uh yeah. The okay, so maybe maybe let me reframe the question a little bit. Um I just who, don't like complainers. Yeah, sure. You know? Like yeah. it's uh um, like speeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know what? Bryson, um, I don't know sure. if he's my answer, but maybe he is just because he I was once at uh so I 
live in LA and I was once at the Genesis open at Riviera. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone said something, not even that bad. And he like basically like called for them to be removed. And I know he's done that since, mm-hmm. um, in another case. And, um, yeah, I just don't, uh, I don't think he has a great sense of how to articulate his emotions in a maybe tactful way. Now, maybe that's just him being himself, but yeah, I don't love complaining Mm. and I don't love, um, obviously the fans need to be respectful, but I don't know. I think those two probably have rubbed me the wrong way simply because it's been like either complaining or like cheating or like, it's a game of integrity and honor. Let's just like, we just want to be there to see you hit incredible shots and teach us a little bit of how to play the game better. Mm-hmm. So those are probably my answers. That's I don't good. love it, but I'm going to go with that's it. Right. That's right. That, that's There's some principles there. And that's, that's what I was going to say is what kind of player might you say would not be, a, I mean, that could probably be what kind of player do you want to play with and don't want to play with someone who's more human, who's more like, um, like, when they play around a golf, they're experiencing it, right? They are there for it as opposed yeah. to someone who's complaining, always kind of wants out, always finding what's wrong. Uh, yeah. Probably maps on to who you like to watch. Uh, yeah. So you kind of already alluded to this, but how much do you watch golf? That's that's the next question. So it's really funny. I don't really watch week to week um, unless it's I, – I realized – after Liv came into the picture, I realized how impactful the venues are and how impactful the courses are. Like I, I realized about myself, the places I love to watch are the courses that I really love. Like I'll watch Riviera, I'll watch TPC Sawgrass. Obviously, that's the players, so it's it's that goes without saying. But um, you know, maybe I'll watch um oh, what is the Honda with the bear trap? Yeah, uh, PGA National. Yeah, maybe that's it with a crazy it. finish, you know. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, I don't really watch week to week anymore. But when it comes to the majors, I'm every round. I watch every interview. I'm like weirdly obsessed with player interviews. Maybe that's because I interview people for a living. Yeah. But I love picking in, picking up on how they talk about things. I actually posted a video. I don't know if you saw it back when I was living in Scotland for four weeks, I went to the Dunhill and I got a media pass and I asked a question to Matthew Fitzpatrick. My first time I've ever asked a question in the, uh, in the media. That's awesome. And it, it was really funny. He didn't even like answer my question. And he was uh-huh. like, I, I've never thought about that before. And then like, yeah, danced around it. And then I played a sad, sad trombone and I zoomed in on my face and it was actually kind of a funny video, but yeah, I have um, seen the video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I go all in on the majors. Actually, yeah. here's my major routine Thursday. It's so exciting all day. Friday, I'll watch like the first half of the day and then I'll go and do other stuff. Saturday, I play because hmm. I'm itching to play <laughs> and Sunday it's all day. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So Saturday you don't catch much because you're no. all right. You're getting your you're getting your own fix. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll follow it on the app just to see who's up there, and maybe I'll watch some interviews. But 
ironically moving day. I don't usually watch. Yeah. Okay. My, my major routine. I like the way you put that was I watch all day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then I spend the next month, uh, just degenerately practicing. And then oh, I get, yeah, yeah. then I like fizzle out because it's been so long and yeah, yeah. I got to get like, I, I can't be this irresponsible. I got to get, I got to do something productive. Yeah. And then I stop until the next major and I do that again. <laughs> so love that. Yeah, I, I get the itching part. Um, okay. So we've talked about this a little bit, but the next question is what's your kryptonite situation on the golf course? Mm. I actually was just about to ask you this. So this is perfect timing. My kryptonite is I have recently had, I didn't realize it, but I had a mechanical flaw um, where I roll it open. I've got an open face and I played like that for years because I played really aggressively and athletically. Um, but the second that I started to struggle and I started to get tentative over the ball, um, whether, you know, I'm going to a drive that has something right, or even on a short par three and I'm, I get a little tentative, my body tends to stall and that face stays open. And two things happen. Either I hit a really weak right shot or lose a ball with a short iron, which is like what just happened, hmm. or I'll try and combat that and shut it down and you can hit a really nasty hook. Mm -hmm. um, so my kryptonite has been learning that it doesn't, confidence doesn't come back overnight but it takes this step ladder i'm doing a video we're launching a video next week with i went out and saw brett mccabe nice. um sports psychologist for john rom and many other pros of trying i thought i had the yips um but he's like no man you just have a mechanical flaw that we have to get looked at and um hmm. you know my self-image just kept getting hit down because my ball striking was so poor so to answer your question directly it's anytime I start to feel that tentative energy over a shot, it's, um, it's trusting in a non-technical cue to make a full turn and have rhythm. Even when I get a bit tentative, the face might get left open and it's harder to release. Um, so that's yeah. still something I struggle with. Does, uh, does a certain scenario on the course trigger that in particular, is it trouble on the right? Because, you know, that's, that would be the default miss. So now you smother it yeah. across, like if you're usually. a right player. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Usually, but it could yeah. be, it could be on a short par three too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's been a challenge at times, but I'm, I'm remembering that small wins, you start to, you know, string together some, some wins and slowly that, uh, that stuff yeah. can fade away. But yeah. it's still always kind of there. So I think that's an important reminder is yeah. you just got to play with it, you know? Yeah. And uh, you're never going to be rid completely of discomfort, right? When when there's a difficult golf shot, you're going to be uncomfortable, right? When there's right. pressure, you're going to be uncomfortable and that's okay. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. My, my kryptonite situation is trouble up the left. I've got, mm. I tend to have a quick hook. So that that gets me guidey and protective and steery. Yep. So 
I have to, and that, that comes from a technical flaw, but also just a irrational fear of what's actually that bad about going left, right? So it's something that I have to address. Okay, so the last question of the lightning round. Uh, okay. You have to delete every episode of the PAR train and leave one. Which one are you going to keep? And I, I know that uh, includes that that puts me at risk of my episode being deleted. And I and I am fully embrace that possibility and honestly anticipate it. So what uh, which one are you yeah, keeping? That's tough. That's tough because you're right. We're probably gonna have to delete your episode, but nothing against you. Bring it. Man, so the most popular one and the one I tell everyone, what do I start with? Is I always say episode 172 with Bob, Dr. Bob Bertel. Um, man, so I'd want to say that one. Yeah. It's but, been the most impactful, sounds like. Yeah, for sure. I'd probably say that one, but I would have never expected to say this, but um, maybe a, a 1B, a close second, would be my wife's debut on the show. Hmm. Um, she's a 12 handicap, I think varsity high school captain of her high school golf team. Very cool. And this episode was how her worst, the worst round of her life was at golf Mecca at the old course at St. Andrews. And it's a, it is such a raw, powerful fun conversation of it doesn't matter where you are it doesn't matter how much you think you should be enjoying yourself she was going through some health stuff a lot of things were thrown at her a ton of unknown a lot of fear and this is someone who's never had a negative experience with the game um i used to come home down or something and she'd be like it's just golf like i don't she didn't get it Mm -hmm. But this was her first experience with truly feeling real frustration and being super down. And it happened to be at the old course of St. Andrews. And so for her to experience that there and for Matt and I to unpack that all together was a really powerful and really unique episode. So Mm -hmm. that would probably be a close second. Wow. That one does sound good. Those, um, yeah. okay, well, I, we'll let you leave too then because those those sound like a pretty good tie. I cheated. No, that's I okay. I called the Patrick Reed. I cheated, sorry. <laughs> You're the Patrick Reed of uh, podcasters. Yeah. Um, no, I won't give that title to you. Um, so let's, let's give you the floor now. Um, I appreciate it. This has been an awesome, awesome episode. This will, um, uh, I know this will help people, right? The the thoughts and the uh, the concepts will will definitely help people. I know it, but also the practical, like here's something for you to do. And and if this is the way that you think, if you think like me, this is this is something you to do. And if it's not uh, the way that you think, then you probably need to do this instead. So yeah, both sides of that conversation have been covered today, and that is awesome. So then because you've earned it at this point, where would you point people? What would you promote? What, like what's going on in your world right now that you, that you currently want people to go look at? 
Yeah. So obviously the podcast, the par train, wherever you get your podcast is an obvious one. Um, we're growing our YouTube at the par train and, um, I've got a lot of great access to a lot of great people and figuring out, you know, how we can help people enjoy the ride again through video as well. Um, and our Instagram is our biggest presence, um, over 80,000 people follow us there. So at the par train on Instagram's kind of a, I post there multiple times a day, kind of a great way to, uh, stay positive and stay level and stay rooted in between podcasts. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, um, as like my little send off, I'd say what started me on my journey of studying this stuff at 16 to now at 36 was one of my best friends that lived across the street from me, Trevor, his mom was actually the, um, efficient of our wedding a year ago. So she's taught me a lot. She's really helped shape who I am today. Um, he once said to me, go on a mental diet. This was when I was like 16. And at that time I was like, what are you talking about? And that's kind of what started it all for me. And what that meant was I stopped saying, first I started catching myself when I'd say negative stuff. And I just went on a mental diet, just like you do with food. And what happened was without even realizing it at the time, I was doing an awareness practice and I started to catch how many negative things I say. And then I started doing that in golf. And I know Dr. Joe parents written about this in Zen golf. Um, you can really use that practice for any area. You could do it generally with negative thoughts per round. You could do generally negative thoughts per day. You could do um, areas of judgmental thoughts. You could do fixing thoughts. You could do fear. Um, and simply by recognizing it, if you don't know what you're doing, you can't change it. So that's where I'd say if someone's listening and they're like, I don't know where to start. That's probably the best place to start because you can't make change without awareness of what you're already doing. And you'd be amazed by simply trying to decrease the number of certain thoughts per day. Um, you do. <laughs> it's it's a weird thing, but you have to have that awareness first. So that's what I leave people with. And um, yeah, just realize that, you know, the golf stuff is is great, but to me... The real purpose of this is um, to use golf as a way to teach me things that then I can use in my marriage, that I can use in my friendships, I can use at the office. Like, instead of getting in your own way and feeling frustrated, have the tools to be able to, not saying you need to feel positive or be positive all the time, but you're going to feel better a lot more when you realize how much your mind is kind of the lens of which you experience the world. So that would be my soapboxy kind of uh, send off, but mm. I love this stuff. So, man, I, I absolutely love that answer. So uh, Evan, this has been a real pleasure. This is, this is awesome for, for me to get to meet you and now know you, I feel like across yeah. these two episodes that we've done, 
this is awesome. So, Evan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, man. This was a lot of fun. All right, everyone. Hope you learned a thing or two from this conversation with Evan Singer. I personally really enjoyed, from a selfish aspect, getting to know Evan through him having me on his podcast, The Par Train, and then shortly after uh, I had him on for this episode. Uh, So it was just a really cool kind of week or two weeks. I can't remember how long apart those were of getting to converse with him and talk with him uh, and uh, we've kept in touch since then. It's, it's been awesome. Evan's just a great guy. So I really, really enjoyed uh, just personally getting to talk to him this much. Uh, and as I always mentioned at the end of these episodes, what you've heard isn't therapy. It's meant for information and entertainment purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through, I encourage you to go talk to a licensed professional. If you have any questions or comments about these topics or working with me one-on-one on your golf psychology, feel free to send an email to josh at joshnicholsgolf.com. Head to my website, joshnicholsgolf.com, or you can find me on Twitter slash X and Instagram at Josh Luke Nichols. And you can find The Par Train on Twitter and Instagram uh, at The Par Train. Uh, just, just look them up. They do some great stuff. I'd also like to point you to the Mental Game Assessment. It's a free 15-minute questionnaire that will show you your mental strengths and areas for improvement. It's the same exact resource that I use with my clients in sessions with them. So if you're interested in the Mental Game Assessment or anything else that uh, we've mentioned throughout the episode, the links will be in the show notes. All right, thanks again for listening to The Mental Golf Show. Whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really appreciate the community that you have been a part of building. If you've learned something on this episode or on this podcast as a whole, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can leave us a review of up to five stars if you feel that we've earned it. And most of all, thank you for your interest in the mental game. I'm Josh Nichols, and I will catch you guys next time.